as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six fold Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also Big Shiny Robot um, and we've only got two movies this week. Uh, everything's been kind of slow because the Sundance Film Festival has pretty much put a hold button on the whole movie industry. So the only really new thing was Anomalisa, which I'm sure I'm saying it's wrong, uh, which is the stop-motion animated film nominated for Best Animated Picture. Uh, and Andy and I finally got a chance to see The Revenant, which we are very excited to talk about. And then afterwards, uh, I'll talk about... Um, actually, I'm just going to choose two movies from Sundance I've seen this year. I'm going to choose the best and choose the worst. <laughs> yeah, I, to be fair, there there are other movies out there. There's The Boy, Dirty Grandpa, uh, The Forest. Uh, but all of these pictures, for whatever reason, not being screened for critics. Um, yeah, they, so. they just kind of left them out there. Um, uh, a good friend of ours, Jenny Martin, went and saw The Boy with his wife yesterday and uh, let's just say it didn't get the most glowing reviews. <laughs> yeah, I, that's pretty much the case for all of these. It's like we're just dumping these movies into January. So your mileage may vary. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for Zac Efron. So I, we'll see if I ever get around to seeing Dirty Grandpa. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll eventually rent it and pull Redbox. But yeah, uh, yeah Zac Efron can... I, I love him. He's fun. He's actually a decent actor. And he can walk around with his shirt off all day long if he wants to. So That's, that's right. <laughs> Right. So, Andy, tell us about um, Anomalisa. So, Anomalisa is, as you said, a stop-motion animated film from the mind of director Charlie Kaufman, who we know from in, being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, Yeah, a, a director who has built up a lot of credibility and also, I mean, going back to John Malkovich, he really seems to have a fascination with puppets and and puppetry and, and the symbolism of that. So we get this sort of hyper-realistic, stylized uh, puppetry animation um, co-produced, I might add, by Dino Stamatopoulos, who people may know from Community as Starburns, and uh, was also the writer and producer of the Adult Swim show Moral Oral, which was also a uh, a stop motion animated, and is is one of the best things that ever came out on uh, Cartoon Network. Yeah, it's it's a great show. So, uh, you know, there was a lot. I had a really high expectations going into this, and I was unfortunately very underwhelmed yeah. by what I saw. They made some very interesting choices. I don't think this is a spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the basic conceit of this entire film is you have the main character, Michael Stone, and then everyone else in the universe is the exact same person. They're yep. all the exact same puppet mold. They all have the same voice. They just have different hair and different clothes. And it took me about 30 minutes for me to figure that out. And I just sat there like, why does everyone's voice sound so weird? What What's going on? I don't get, oh. And he, he actually comes out and says it like, I think there are only two people in the universe. Yep. There, there's me and everyone else. And, and he admits that he's having some mental problems. 
And then about halfway through the film, uh, he meets another person uh, named Lisa, who is an anomaly because she's different. Voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee. And so hence the title, she's uh, an anomalisa. Um, it's it's interesting. It kind of muses around uh, a lot of what I think might be interesting concepts if they were dealt with a little bit better. But overall, I was just kind of bored. And they they really took their sweet time in making some of their points. And for a filmmaker known for being able to inject quirky humor into his work, it was really missing here. And so I, I, I just got bored by it. It's, it's interesting to look at. It's an interesting conceit, but I, I think they just didn't really execute on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the best thing going for it is the animation. Um, stop motion animation is just a humongous pain in the butt. Uh, and that's why you don't see too many films that use that, uh, use that anymore. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's fantastic. The only thing I kind of didn't like was the way the characters' faces are. They kind of, the bottom of their face attaches the eye level. And for some reason, I kept on thinking of them with wearing glasses in the movie. Like, it just, it just took me out. Every time I saw that, it just jarred me. Um, this is the epitome of what I call a pretentious art house film. Um, it's just a bunch of navel-gazing, longing looks, uh, you know, scenes with very little talking or talking that kind of goes roundabout in a circle in like some kind of supposed Socratic way. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see how this is getting all the buzz and hype. I mean, it's not a horrible movie, but afterwards I, I looked over to my friend uh, Jessica and her husband who was seeing it with, with me, and we were both like, did I miss something? Is there is there some grand conceit that just doesn't, I maybe I'm too dull to understand or, or, or comprehend? And, and they're both pretty big movie fans as well. And they just, they're like, no, that was it. And so I, I guess it's like, I feel it's one of the most overhyped movies of the year. And <clears throat> one that I think people are just giving too much credit for because, like I said, it, it's an arty, pretentious, navel-gazing, Sundance-type movie. Uh, I'm really surprised it didn't premiere Sundance because it probably would have won every single award known to man, um, even more so than Gay Cowboys Eating Pudding. But... Yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it, it was okay. I, I wasn't very impressed. The animation was the best part. And honestly, I expect more from Charlie Kaufman. And perhaps he should stop directing his movies. Uh, let other people take control because when he doesn't direct them, uh, they actually are fantastic. Like like we said with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people really got into uh, stop motion animation sex. And, and like full frontal nudity. I'm sorry, but uh, Team America did it better. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. At least it was funny in Team America. So, so there you go. Uh, I I think yeah, that's that's kind of the problem with it. And you're you're spot on. I'm at like a six out of ten for just the technical aspects of it. Like, mm-hmm. well done, but yeah, I, I I wish this was better. Yeah, I'm I'm not a five. Like I said, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't walk out being like, oh, that was a waste of an hour and a half. But at the same time, it just wasn't anything special. Uh, the most overhyped movie of the year, hands down. Wow. 
So. Well, then we can talk about another film that that I think might be a little bit overhyped as well, and that's The Revenant. Oh, and see, actually, I was going, I was going to segue with, and now to a film that isn't overhyped. <laughs> so I guess we 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 have, some, I, I think we have some similar views, but also The Revenant is uh, director Alejandro Inarritu's follow up to Birdman from last year, which he won best director and also best picture for. Um, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Hugh Glass. He's one of the uh, an experienced hunter slash trapper who's leading a team to you know go out and kill things and take their hides back and make a lot of money for them. Um, they're ambushed by the Re-Indians uh, who are out there looking for the chief's daughter who was kidnapped by some of these trappers. Not them, a different group actually. Um, so they flee and barely get away with their lives. You know, The, the whole company of men is pared down quite a bit. Uh, <clears throat> while they're trying to get away, they're out hunting. Uh, Hugh Glass, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, gets mauled by a grizzly bear. Um, and just brutally, brutally almost torn apart. And the, uh, the whole group is wondering, hey, is he going to live? Is he going to die? So he's slowing them down because they're stuck in the mountains and it's snowing. So he, they decide, hey, we're going to leave two people behind with you until uh, he dies. And then they'll bury him and take care of him. Uh, one of the people left behind is John Fitzgerald, who's played by Tom Hardy. And he and Hugh Glass didn't really get along very well. So he finally convinces uh, Hugh to, hey, let me just kill you, put you out of your misery, and we'll be on our way. Uh, Tom Hardy's character, John Fitzgerald, goes to strangle him. When Hugh's uh, Native American son comes up, finds out what's happening, tries to fight back, and John stabs and kills him, all while a helpless Hugh is sitting there watching all this happen. Uh, anyways, they bury him alive, and he and his cohort run back off. And it's from that point on, it becomes a survival story of you know Leonardo DiCaprio's character finding a way to survive through just pure strength of will and malice and revenge to get back to the man who killed his son. And it just follows him on his adventures there. It has the, the group of uh, trappers getting back to their their fort. But this movie is really all about Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, he's nominated for Best Actor. He deserves the hell out of that award. I mean, he acted his ass off. And to get a performance that he gave with maybe, I think maybe he had five minutes of dialogue in a two and a half hour movie is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so... It's a great revenge tale, a survival tale. Uh, if you like shows like Man vs. Wild, uh, this is definitely going to be up in your alley. Uh, what do you think about it, Andy? So, I I liked The Revenant. I liked it a lot. But I think the first thing I said to you after seeing it was, well, I don't have to revise my top ten for the last year. <laughs> and it's, it's really good. Like, don't get me wrong. But it, I, I just... I think it was really beautiful to look at. The cinematography, which I think, as we mentioned on a previous episode, they used only natural light. Yeah, it's uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, who uh, won the cinematography awards the last two years for both Birdman and Gravity. I mean, he's a fantastic yeah. cinematographer. Yeah, it, and absolutely deserved. And And this is really, really beautiful. It's bad to sit in a theater that is cold. I wish I had brought a blanket. Because <laughs> that movie is cold. <laughs> yeah, you feel it. And it is, it's, they really put you in there. And, and that's where I kind of part ways with this. I felt like it was a little bit plotting. It was a little bit overborne. They needed to cut yeah, maybe a half hour out of the movie somewhere. And like... 
you mentioned DiCaprio's acting. Um, I felt like they spent way too much time with Leo breathlessly crawling and grunting over things in an attempt to survive. It's like, okay, I get it. I understand how dire your circumstances are, but it, it just felt a little bit overwrought to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't to say that it was bad. It, it was just there was too much of it. And the, the movie I kept going back in my mind comparing it to is The Martian, which is also a tale of survival. And they were able to inject some levity and, uh, and other things into it that made things, I don't know, a little bit less dire. I, I wish there were a way that this wouldn't have been... I hate to say that the movie was one note, because there, there are a lot of, of different levels here. But for the most part, it was just turned up to 10 in intensity almost the whole time. And I feel like it needed a couple of other levels. That being said, that final showdown between, uh, between Hardy and DiCaprio, pretty great. Oh, and it was brutal as hell. Like, it was, I'm, I'm not very squeamish when it comes to anything. Uh, but there's a scene where someone, we'll just say someone gets their hands, their fingers chopped off, like, and it just comes out of nowhere. And that had me, like, jump in my seat. <laughs> yeah, me too. And the, it, I will say this. I think Star Wars had the better climactic battle in the snow. Um, of, and I, I, I don't have a problem with violence. Like, we talked about The Hateful Eight, which is an equally violent and disturbing film. I felt like this was maybe a little bit too much uh, blood and gore for blood and gore's sake. Like, to really, like, we're going to show you how brutal this is by showing you literally how brutal it was. I wish there were a way for us to connect with it in a way that wasn't quite so bloody. That being said, I mean, the technical achievements for this are pretty amazing. I mean, Leo looks like he got mauled by a bear. Yeah, and, and, that, and that bear scene itself, and even though the bear was CG, oh uh, you, you swore you were watching someone getting murdered. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, seriously. Absolutely. That, there's a lot uh, that was really intense here. And I feel bad that I'm, I'm kind of picking on this movie when it was really, really good. So let me let me go back for one second and just say, like, look, this is like a seven and a half, maybe a seven and three quarters out of ten movie. It's really good, people. Uh, uh, I'm just, I'm nitpicking because the way that it it suddenly became everyone's favorite and now, like, oh, DiCaprio's got to win the Oscar. It's his year. And, and uh, the the kind of cult of Inaritu, um, who I actually really like, and I love Birdman, but it just, it seems to be coming out uh, a little bit too strongly for my taste. And I, I want to tamp down on people. So I, I think I maybe had this built up a little bit too highly uh, in my mind about how, how great this was. I don't think this is in the same echelon as Mad Max or The Martian. And uh, right now, I think those are the two films that are deserving of Best Picture. 
this is a very good film, those two deserve it more. Yeah, well, the, the, the Producers Guild just announced their best picture, which was The Big Short. So keep an eye on that, because that's actually now the unofficial frontrunner over Revenant. But Wow. Uh, yeah, that, and again, that's, that's the one I didn't get to see that I, I it's on my list. It's one of the, like, the four movies last year I didn't see. <laughs> again, this is like what, a movie that I loved so much, but I thought that only I would love this movie. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm very surprised. So, yeah, that. so the, that was, I think, announced, was it this morning? It was either this morning or last night. I was just on The Hollywood Reporter and happened to notice it. So keep an eye on that one, kids. Wow. That's, a, that's the big one to beat. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit higher on the scale than you are. I'm, I'm at a nine. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I think it was fantastic. Uh, I, I agree there's the cult of injury, too, from Birdman last year. But you look at you know, the technical aspects of what they did to make this movie. I mean, they've interviewed all the actors, and it was a hellish shoot. I mean, they were out there camping and, you know, in these sub-zero temperatures and living off the land almost to to accomplish this. And we mentioned the cinematographer using only uh, natural ambient light to film the movie. And, and yes, there are some scenes where they're kind of going out of their way to show that. Uh, and I'm right with you when uh, you said that it needs about a half hour cut out. It is a half hour too long, and there's lots of little moments that could have been just cut out and no one would have noticed him. But in the end, it's, again, fantastic performance by Leonardo DiCaprio uh, with only, like I said, five minutes of dialogue. Uh, brutal movie, very gory, uh, but it's not... I didn't feel it was done to excess. Uh, it was more that it was just a realistic way of portraying what actually was happening in those scenes. Yeah, I just, I felt it turned into kind of like survival murder porn a little bit. <laughs> so. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. It, it did not crack my top five either, so that's staying the same. Um, it's kind of hanging out with The Martian as far as my favorite movies of the year under, outside that. So definitely top ten, a great movie, but one that's, it, it's an investment. I mean, it's like a two hour and 40 minute movie, so, you know, you, you need a day to to say, okay, we're going to go do this and bunker down and go, and go see it. But yeah, well worth your time. Absolutely well worth your time. And I, it's, it's actually doing extremely well at the box office. Yeah. I think, I think it took uh, first place this weekend. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Did it finally beat star Wars? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I have to go back and look, but I, um, but yeah, I believe I'm, that was first place for the weekend. So it's, it, it, I mean, and deserving it, and it's good to see an artsy sort of movie doing well financially. So I, I like that. Um, you know, props to Inno D2, and I hope he continues making great films. Uh, this is this is just, it's very good. It's just not my most favorite. Yeah. So anyways, but yeah, it's, it, that's the recommend of the week. Uh, because Anna Melissa was meh. Yeah, but even. Totally. Yeah, so Revenant is the one to go see if you haven't seen it yet, and you'll definitely uh, see it pop popping up going forward on you know, award shows and everything else. So, um, so quickly, Sundance. So yeah, the Sundance Film Festival kicked off this week, and I've spent the last two three days uh, back and forth from Park City to um, Salt Lake City, trying to see as much as possible. And the good news is there's a there's a lot of good stuff this year. I, last year, I would say it was about fifty fifty between what I saw that was great and what I saw that was either meh or horrible. Um, But yeah, I've only had one sticker this year. I mean, the rest have been really, really fun. So uh, quickly, I just want to talk about two movies. We'll do the worst and the best of what I've seen so far. So 
the worst one I've seen is the Greasy Strangler. Now and, I have heard I have heard very good things about this. I have like Devin Farachi from uh, Birth Movies Death really loved this. Tim Weig from the Alamo Draft House is like gaga over this. They're like directly comparing this to John Waters. And and that's what they're going for. Uh, I think the best review I saw was from the, the Hollywood Reporter. So I went and saw the, the, the movie with Brooks Spur yesterday, who's been a, a guest on our show. And he sent me this picture of the Hollywood Reporter saying the Hollywood Reporter raves Astros Mark about the Greasy Strangler. And then in small things it says, please note the Hollywood Reporter hated the Greasy Strangler. Um, a movie that begs you to hate it. Uh, gallons of congealing indeterminate origin facts. Half-assed surrealism. Make that full-assed. Bullshit artist. <laughs> and bullshit artist actually is one of the things that's said many times in the movie. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's about a, fa- a father and son uh, who are played by no one you ever heard. Uh, the father's name Ronnie. His uh, Big Ronnie, his son's name Big Braden. Um, the father's got to be in his 70s, and the, and the son's this bald hair, comb-over kid guy in his 40s. Just creepy as hell, and they have this walking disco tour of L.A., that they take people around and show them houses of where supposed disco stuff happens. And they both fight over this woman, and then certain times Big Ronnie dumps and stumps grease all over himself and goes out and like kills people and then cleans himself up in a car wash. And it's very absurd, very out there. And yes, it's trying desperately, desperately to be John Waters. Uh, in fact, last night when I came home, I actually watched a couple John Waters films to kind of get the taste, the bad taste out of my mouth because... John Waters, while his movies had, his early movies especially, were very crude, crass, and had low production value, there was a point behind him. He was making a statement. It was very counterculture. Uh, this was more the beginning of the LGBT rights movements. So it was a time and a place for weirdos to come out and, and do strange things, like you know, a, a dancing butthole and the gift only a mother can give and horrible things like that. Uh, this is just, it's trying to do that for the first half it succeeds, and then it just falls apart and just gets uh, horrible. Uh, we were at a press screening and the, the theater was packed, so probably about 300 people. Um, by the time the movie was over, I would say we were one of only 30 people left. That so many people walked out. It's um, tons of nudity, tons of sex. Uh, there's gigantic and small prosthetic penises throughout. Uh, it's just it's horrible. It's there's no redeeming value to it. Uh, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and the fact that it's getting so much praise thrown upon it, it just means that, again, these people are trying to find things that aren't there, and they're trying to herald the return of the Midnight movie. Uh, I want the Midnight movie to come back as well, but if this is how they're going to do it, uh, then no, it should, it should stay with John Waters. Yeah, no, bring back bring back silly uh, Midnight movies. Bring back, like, uh, what, what was the movie from... Sundance and and South by Southwest a couple years ago, Big Ass Spider, or yeah. or something like like that was a midnight movie, but yeah. like it, it, do something like that, be silly, but yeah, being postmodern and gross just to show that you can be postmodern and gross is not art, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, and the people like I think I think the variety was a variety or was it. It was someone like Entertainment Weekly hated it, uh, but yeah, I just, I'm not a prude. I don't get offended at anything, and this movie did not offend me in any way, shape, or form. Aside from the fact that it was so horribly done, 
that a waste of my time. And you know, I'm I'm very much of the idea that I won't I will not walk out of a movie because I will give it my time and then I can say whatever I want about it. Um, but this one was just horrible. But again, thankfully, it's the only bad one I've seen. The best one I saw, uh, absolutely fantastic, is Other People. Um, so this is written and directed by Chris Kelly, who the name may not be familiar, but you know his stuff. Um, he writes for both the TV series Broad City uh, and also Saturday Night Live. In fact, he was the one who wrote and came up with the idea for the Adele Thanksgiving skit. That is one of my, my favorite skits they've done probably in the last couple years. I love that skit because it's yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't seen it, just go uh, YouTube Adele SNL. It, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. So uh, Other People is the story of... Uh, it's, kind of it's very autobiographical. Um, he actually came out after the screening and talked to us a bit. And it's about uh, this struggling comedy writer who lives in New York, and... Uh, played by Jesse Plemons, who we know from Breaking Bad and uh, Fargo, moves back to Sacramento to take care of his mother, uh, Molly Shannon, who is dying of cancer. Uh, it's not really a surprise that the very, very first scene of the movie opens with you know, she dies, and the whole family's there crying over her, and then it skips back a year. So you basically have a year, a whole year story of watching the son take care of his mother, deal with his... Um, also, he's, he's gay. Uh, his homophobic father, ex-boyfriends... Um, and it's just a deeply, deeply personal, moving film. Uh, it's funny as hell. I mean, and it's great because there are moments you'll be laughing your ass off and then literally crying two seconds later because something incredibly sad happens. But um, it's really, really good. It's one of the best things I saw. we got to vote on it. Hopefully it'll win uh, something because it, it needs to. Uh, but this is just one of the best things I've seen in God, like the last two years, and it's this. I, I can't give it a ten. I think there's some issues with it, that some small quibbling ones. Uh, but if I had to rate it, I would give this one like a nine point five easy. That's awesome. That's great. It's always good to see those um, kind of heartfelt comedies where there's also a serious turn with it. I, I mean, last year we um, we had what ended up being one of my favorite movies, Sleeping with Other People, and. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's the a death at a funeral? Was that a was death at a funeral a Sundance movie? The original British one. Um, I'm trying to remember, um, but but that sort of but that sort of mix of comedy and drama mm-hmm. is, is always is always good. I think. Yeah, so it's uh, it's great, and it's also wonderful because you know Jesse Clemens, you know he's his character is you know, a little bit you know a little bit pudgy, not fat or anything, uh, but it was. Really nice to see uh, a normal person being portrayed as a gay character because most of the time you have guys who they're you know are, you know, are almost caricatures of of, the, of uh, gay people or lesbians or they're just completely you know, you know they work out and they're hunked out and stuff like that and he was just a normal guy dealing with stuff and it's yeah there's there's some moments there where and oh and before I go anywhere else do Molly Shannon is absolutely just fantastic in this. I mean, it's, it is technically an hour and a half of watching her succumb to cancer. Uh, but there's just scenes where like she's dealing with chemo or, uh, you know, talking about, you know, when she dies, if she wants to be buried or cremated and this and that. And it, I guess that scene actually was great because it was one that you're laughing hysterically and then you're crying the next. So it absolutely perfectly balances out sweet and bittersweet, sweet and sorrow. And, it's it's a great movie. If, if you're at Sundance and you can only see one thing, go see this movie. That's great. 
Hey, have you seen The Lobster yet? Yes, actually, that was the first one I saw. Um, so The Lobster, it's it's the, one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Um, it's, it takes place, I'm, it doesn't really say when, but the whole uh, premise is that no one's allowed to be single. So Colin Farrell's wife leaves him at the very first scene. And when you're single, you have to go to this like resort for 45 days to find someone to fall in love with and get married. If you don't, they turn you into an animal. And so this is where all the animals come from. This is why we have birds and dogs and, in this case, lobsters. Uh, and it's it's a crazy movie. It's it's a very, very dry humor. I mean, it's it's so dry that... I can't think of the last movie that was that. It, it's, it was funny, though. I mean, there, there's laugh out loud moments. It's very surreal. It's very weird. Uh, but definitely fun. And the only problem with it, again, is it's two hours too long. It's two hours... It could be a little, a little shorter because the beginning of the movie explains the end. And we walked out. My friend Brooks was like, well, I, what was that about? I was like, well, remember the beginning that I explained it to him? He's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but I think too many people are going to go watch it and forget what happened. But uh, Lobster is fun. It actually comes out on Blu-ray and DVD in about two weeks. So No way. Yeah, oh. it's, cause it's already premiered. So we just it, it premiered back at a uh, film festival back, I think, in November. But yeah, the beginning of February, it comes out. So... Um, don't worry, you can see it shortly. But it's good. It's well, it's funny. I'm looking forward to that. I really, I just the premise. I mean, I really like weird dystopian stuff, and like weird dystopian, we're going to force you to be married and mate, or else we turn you into an animal. That just sounds. That just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, but you, you got to pick your animal, which is kind of nice. But yeah. It, it's just funny at the beginning because he's sitting there. And Colin Farrell got fat for the role, too. I mean, he's, he's definitely not his typical self either. Um, but he's sitting there with this, like, the receptionist, and she's asking him all these questions. And she's like, you know, heterosexual or homosexual? He's like, um, heterosexual, I guess. Oh, you know what? I did, ha- I did have a fling with a guy in college back in, um, you know, back a couple years ago. Is there a bisexual option? And she's like, stops typing for, like, literally 30 seconds and then goes... No, we removed that last year. <laughs> it's, just, it's yeah, it's just little moments like that, and then he uh, he ends up escaping and meets a group of people who live in the woods, who are the exact opposite, where you can't be with anyone else at all. And that's where he meets uh, Rachel Weiss, who's the kind of the, the woman he falls in love with. And, and I love her so much. I just she she I just love Rachel Weiss. But uh, they they make up a code to talk to each other so no one knows they're in love, and it involves like hand gestures and sitting up and standing down. And so there's this wonderful scene where everyone just sitting down like doing nothing, like leaning against trees, and both he and her are doing like this little like weird almost interpretive dance. Like he'll do something and then she'll do something for like two minutes, and it just like really like you, no one's going to notice this. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely an absurdist movie, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last one I'll I'll bring up really briefly uh, was Norman Lear, uh, another version of you. Uh, it's a documentary about Norman Lear, who is the guy who wrote and created um, All in the Family, Maud, The Jeffersons, and all these crazy, wonderful shows back in the 70s and 80s that kind of rewrote how TV is nowadays. And it just tells the story of his life and how the shows impacted him and how he impacted television. Um, and it's, it's, it's fantastic as well. So that one, I'm sure HBO will come and buy all the documentaries again. So if you have HBO now, keep an eye on a couple months because that's that's when you'll want to see too. That'll be great. Yeah, Norman Lear. I mean, people don't 
people don't recognize like how important Archie Bunker was. At, well, because too many people don't get that Archie Bunker was satire. Because yeah. they're like, oh yeah, Archie Bunker, that's my guy. That's who I identify with. It's like, oh really? You're a racist? Awesome. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, that explains Donald Trump. That's the the people who are who are still who think that Archie Bunker was the hero of, the, of that show. Yep. So. so, all right. Well, that's all I got. Yeah. Thanks everyone for sticking around with us. Uh, next week, uh, again, it's kind of light because you know, some nice and everything else. But uh, I know we've got Kung Fu Panda three. Uh, the Finest Hours, and then the the Wayans Brothers' Fifty Shades of Black spoof that I'm sure is just going to be wonderful. <laughs> you know, I'd, I would like to take some time next week to talk about Fifty Shades of Black just because I, I'd like to talk and about the Oscars So White controversy because I think there's something to be said about the segregation of film in America. This is a black film that is being marketed to black audiences and is likely not going to open in a lot of largely white places and i think that's uh well we don't need to talk about it next week i just said everything i need to say (laughs) that shows hollywood's racism which is too bad because uh the wayans brothers are hilarious and i'm gonna see if i can their their last movies have been absolutely dog crap horrible so i'm i'm not excited for this movie so but i again i i doubt they'll screen it here because well yep. it's utah they won't so. and it's it probably i wonder if it will even open in a single theater in in salt lake city we'll have to look that up yeah we'll um, check yeah so that's it from uh this week and then we will talk to you guys next week and hopefully i'll have a chance to bring up some more stuff from sundance and tell you about some cool stuff so hail satan and have a lovely afternoon Tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly.